0: Side Hustle Show 132, seven days to a profitable business. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results is back to school season today, and we're going back to school with Dan Norris. This is episode 132, seven days to a profitable business. Dan is the founder of WP Curve. It's a WordPress support service. He's grown from nothing to a seventy-four thousand dollars monthly run rate over the last two years. He's also the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Seven Day Startup, which tells a story of his previous business failures. Failures and how he's earned his first paying customers for WP Curve in just one week. Stick around to hear Dan's business idea-generating tips, his contrarian advice to niching down, and how to market your business for next to nothing with his content strategies. Ready? Let's do it. If I'm the person sitting in my cubicle in my day job, the prospect of having a viable business by this time next week, that sounds pretty good to me. Maybe that sounds even too good to be true. So let's uh, let's get into mm-hmm. this stuff. Where Where does somebody start on a seven-day startup journey?
1: People waste too much time seeking permission from other entrepreneurs and assuming things are going to go one way, debating how good an idea is with their entrepreneurial friends and not enough time actually launching something. So I wanted to put something together that was going to help people. Just forget about all of that and give them. I guess if they're looking for permission, then give them permission to launch something quickly, even if it's not perfect, and work on it after that.
0: Yeah, the only the only real validation is somebody paying you versus somebody telling you you have a good idea.
1: I found like in the self-funded sort of entrepreneurs crowd, it, it, it just it helps for people to just be able to launch something and then just look at if it's working, if it's not working, and not spend too much time on is it valid or is it not valid because most people are probably launching ideas that exist in some way already and like that. I mean most most of the businesses that start they're technically already validated because like people are out there doing it already and you know once you get caught in this trap of validated or invalidated you you sort of think well I've got to validate this idea and you get too focused on that and not focused on like whether it's valid or not is not that relevant it's just a case of whether or not you can make it work and there's a lot of things that go into that and some of some of it can't really be analyzed I mean it might just might just be timing or luck or it might be your set of skills or the way you market things or you know maybe someone else got there first in my experience it makes a lot more sense to just launch something and then look at whether or not it's working and if it's not working change it if it is working then do more of it and then just try to follow that momentum as opposed to you know this this idea that there's either good ideas or bad ideas
0: yeah one of my uh, favorite lines from the book was solve problems where people are already paying for solutions. So along those lines, hey, I'm not necessarily out there trying to come up with the, the next greatest idea, but rather saying, hey, if people are already, what, what, what problem can I solve, basically? And so do you have recommendations for people who are sitting in that cubicle and saying, well, what, what problems can I solve?
1: you have to have like in the book I talk about nine traits of like ideas that represent good ideas for self-funded startups and I think you can you can do your best to come up with a good idea before you launch and there's some things you can pay attention to like one of them is, is product founder fit so if if something feels like it makes sense to you to be working on then that's probably a good sign if it if it doesn't feel right to you if it like doesn't seem like something you should be working on if you're just doing it because you've seen someone else do it well then that's not a good thing. So there's little things like that or like the, you know, how scalable is it? is it? Is it a business that you're just going to be able to hit your personal limit of 10 customers and then not be able to grow outside of that because it's not going to be profitable um, if you pay other people to do it? So that kind of stuff is is all like what I think about when I, when I think about an idea to work on. In terms of like where to get ideas, that's probably more tricky. I think it, I think most people who have any kind of success in business end up just doing something that they're good at or doing something that they're sort of they're into for whatever reason and they, they start looking around at what people are paying money for and they look at how they could just be slightly different to what, what people are doing already. Like with, with WP Curve and my WordPress support business, lots of people have problems with WordPress. You know, sites are always breaking. People are always asking questions about WordPress. So I just had to think about, well, how do I solve that in a slightly unique way? And that's an example because I was into WordPress. I was into building websites for people. That was sort of what I was known for. So I was a good fit and I just had to figure out a way to make it scalable. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, to me, that's sort of normally how it works. People will find something they're into, like an industry they're into. They'll look around at different business models and they'll, they'll think I can do something that people are already paying for, but I can put a little unique twist on it and uh, do something to get attention and stand out and then, and then build a business out of it.
0: One of the other uh, nine Elements of, of great bootstrap business ideas is uh, going after a big market, which kind of in combination with the the scalable business models, a lot of people will preach. Hey, do do stuff that doesn't scale, right? Like you're you're just starting out, you don't need to worry about this right now. But one thing I want to talk about was tapping into a big market, which kind of runs counter to everyone's else, everyone else's advice to niche down, niche down, niche down. Where in you know even on this podcast we talked about like hey, you don't want to serve. Restaurants, you don't even want to serve sushi restaurants. You want to serve sushi restaurants in this (laughs) one neighborhood of San Francisco, and niche down until it hurts. Right, like that's the advice. But there's there's this wisdom in saying, hey, if I want to build something big, we'll go after. You know, the the universe of WordPress users is what like you know one in every six websites in the planet. Yeah, like, like it's,
1: it's a huge, huge market. Million websites. Or yeah. I just don't like the advice to niche down. I mean, I just think I just think it's not good advice. Like, I think what people do a couple of things. The first thing that do things that don't scale. I think that's I think like that came from Paul Graham, who is like a big funded startup, like God almost. So I think like him saying mm-hmm. do things that don't scale means build a company that is fundamentally scalable, but to get it going at the start, to give it a kickstart and a boost, do things that don't scale to hustle at the start to like get that momentum going. So I, th- I think you can really easily misinterpret that advice to be saying like, don't worry about scale, but that is definitely not what he's saying. Um, he, he doesn't get any, he doesn't show any interest in any business that's in scalable because that's, that's his, <laughs> his whole job is to build billion dollar company. Right. But the niche down thing, I think people just take it way over the top. And I see people all the time, it's like I'm serving this little niche and, you know, what am I doing wrong? How come I'm not making any money? Well, it's because the people in that niche don't have any money and all of your marketing potentially get the attention of people all around the world, but hardly any of those people can actually pay for your service because you're so niche down. And I see that happen all the time. It can work. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I'm I'm just saying it's not the only option. I think you can definitely start something in a, a big market and it's a lot easier to get customers, and especially if you're doing something like content marketing. My new book, Content Machine, talks about that. It's like if you're going to get a lot of attention for your content, What's the logic between that and your business? Like, are the people who are consuming that content likely to become customers? Well, if you're putting out a lot of content about sort of entrepreneurship and you've got a little niche business that sells crafts or, or something, um, there's no logic there between the content and, and the business. Or, or the, lo- the local option is an example as well. Like, if you're putting all this great content out there on your blog, you've got access to the whole world. You've got like an Instagram account that the whole world can access, or you're, or you're doing some of marketing that, that the whole world can access, but you're only serving a little small niche local market for, you, for your services, then only a small amount of those people can become customers or even can refer customers. So it's like, it's all just wasted energy. And I see that happen all the time. And, and I think to me, it makes more sense to just start something in a big market where, where there's a lot of people already paying for solutions and you just come in with something that's a little bit different in order to stand out.
0: So for those local companies, you know, working working their Instagram feeds and stuff like that, you would say, hey, why not go global versus why not just dial back your content? Well, it really
1: depends on their business. I mean, if you're like a local coffee shop, then it then it makes yeah. a lot of sense to be on social media <laughs> and, and to be really good at that. But it's it's just never going to be as powerful. Like if you if you had a, a local coffee shop and you had like this this massive like influencer on there who's got a million followers and they share a meal from your coffee shop, then only a very, very tiny fraction of those people are actually going to follow you and potentially come in and buy from you. Whereas if you sell a product like the people can buy all around the world, that's a service or or a software or even a physical product that you can send anywhere, then that's it's always just going to have way more traction. So I think, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's too simplistic, but to me, it, it just makes sense that if you're going to Chase the real opportunity that we have now, which is like you can literally do things on a global scale without hardly any money at all. Then it makes sense to go broader with your marketing and broader with your business.
0: Yeah, if you can capture even a tiny percentage of of those 70 million uh, WordPress users, you're in in very, very good shape. So I had an essay a few months ago called The Piggyback Principle, which kind of looks at these broad broad scale trends and say, you know, these are opportunities to build businesses around, you know, whether that's you know, self-publishing, whether that's, you know, the word, I think I used WP Curve as an example in that post, and kind of these these broad trends, you know, whether that's towards minimalism, whether that's towards CrossFit or craft brewing or gluten-free food, you know, all sorts of this stuff, like what kind of, you know, these big trends can you, um, you capitalize on? With WP Curve, what was the, you know, first customer's story? You say, okay, I have this idea, I'm going to put it out into the world. And like, you say, hey, I'm going to, if something works, I'm going to keep doing it. What was the early indication that this was working?
1: Well, I I had a, the year before I'd ran a business doing like analytics charts, uh, like a software that, that summed up all your analytics and put them into a chart. And it it taken me a year to build that business. I remember. Yeah, I remember. yeah. And I got into $476 in recur- monthly recurring revenue. And I was spending about two grand a month. So I was losing about $1,500 a month. And I'd run out of money. And with WP Curve, I emailed my list and I had 10 people sign up in the first week. And it just so happened to exactly equal $476 in monthly recurring revenue. So that, to me, I was like, if I get 10 customers in the first month, then that's going to be 12 times better than my last effort. I I would just always have the mindset that like, it it doesn't matter so much how I get it, how many I get initially, it's going to matter how much I get going forward. And it's the same with, I just launched the seven-day startup community and I had 30, 35 people sign up in the first three weeks on annual plans for this thing. but. To me, I won't know if it's successful until I get to month one, month two, month three, and just see if it's growing each month, especially with monthly recurring revenue. So with WP Curve, I was like, okay, I want ten customers in the first month, and then I just want to grow at ten percent a month after that. So, you know, one the next month and well, I actually want more than ten percent. But I was like, well, let's just let's see if I can just add more each month. And eventually that compound growth is just going to turn it into a business. And I, I ended up getting 10 exactly 10 in the first week so that that sort of indicated to me you know this was a lot more successful than I would hoped it would be and it just kept going I got about 10 a week for the next two years
0: yeah hey hey I'm, I'm on to something yeah. here for sure now you're 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 the content marketing guy but the beef against uh, the, the benefit of content marketing is that it's inexpensive anybody can do it right like the cost of production is very low but the beef against it is it's like really slow or it can be really slow or it can be, or you can just keep blogging until you're blue in yeah. the face and nobody
1: ever. Well, li- I mean, if you do anything incorrectly until <laughs> you're blue in the face, then it's, it's, you know, it's not going to work. So I think, True. you know, if you do, you could do paid ads really badly for 10 years and not have any success and wonder, wonder why and then blame paid ads as a strategy. But I, I think, you know, like in the, in the book, in the content machine book, I, I talk about a lot of stories about people using content marketing. Well, And one of the main points of the book is that it doesn't it definitely helps to do something consistently consistently over the long term. But it is also possible to get much better results with content if you really tap into something that is needed. Again, just like entrepreneurship, like the example I use in the book is I've got a company, Black Ops Brewing, which is a craft beer business. We've done about 15 blog posts on that blog, and it's led to six figures in investment, uh, invitations to conferences in Melbourne, you know, loads of customers, beer blogs have written about us. All the biggest big beer blogs in Australia have written about us and interviewed us. We're we're building a brewery six months after doing our first home brew because of all the attention we've gotten from the blog. And we've only done 15 posts on there. And to me, that's not doing something for 10 years and waiting for results. And that's not it's not really leveraging my existing network too much either because it's a totally different community. And mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful. I mean, I don't know what kind of paid advertising strategy you could get for that in you know the space of a, a couple of months and not spending any money. So. I think if you can tap into something, if you like have a vision for what you want out there, and create something that other people aren't creating, so you can really differentiate and stand out, then content marketing can be very powerful. But if you just copy what everyone else is doing and just intend to do it for ten years until you get results, then it's it's definitely not going to work.
0: Those are some very impressive results for the uh, for the brewery business.
1: Hey entrepreneurs,
0: we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, And how about this? Side hustle show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash side hustle show. Just go to indeed.com slash side hustle show right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash side hustle show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed. Another one that comes to mind is uh, lead pages. They're very, very effective in you know, doing their their podcast, their webinar. And like they're just all over the place like showing people how to build their email list, right? And it's like, oh, by the way, you can use our software if you want, but you don't have to. But here's the buy button if you do.
1: Well, I mean, they do have like, I don't know, like $10 million in funding or something. Now, now they got yeah.
0: funded, but before they got money.
1: <laughs> so that definitely helps. But but yeah, no, their, their content early on was really good. And that like I just like in the book I talk about this monetization logic where you like you're putting content out there and you've got a business that's separate from that and there's just like perfect logic between the two and that's a perfect example of that. Where you like you're educating the world on how to build email options and it just so happens that you've got software that helps you build your email list and it's the same as SEO Moz is an example I use in the book. Intercom is another example. They they educate software companies on how to improve their business and they just so happen that they have uh, software that software companies use. So if you can get that fit and logic perfect, then it can be really powerful.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like Chris Ducker is putting out content on, you know, how much should you pay your virtual assistant? How do you hire people in the Philippines, right? Oh, by the way, if you want me to do it for you, I have a service that does that.
1: Exactly. I mean, he's, he's written the book on outsourcing and it's no doubt that that's going to be a good thing for his business because he happens to have a service where he can outsource.
0: <laughs> right. So not just creating content, but creating like the super useful content that's related to your to to what your target customers need to learn or what they need to know and and that that crucial connection piece that monetization logic is is the piece that I think a lot of people um, miss out on. No.
1: yeah, I just want to pull you up on that though because another thing I challenge in the book is is are you actually creating content for your customer? And a lot of people say, you know, pick this avatar and create content for this avatar. And I think like, if I think about the beer stuff, like if we were to take that approach, we would say like Jim, the bar owner wants to buy our beer. So we, we need to create content for Jim. So we, we write a bunch of stuff about bars and try to get his attention. But mm-hmm. in reality, that's not what we do. What we do is we create content for a community, the whole craft beer community, investors to other brewers, uh, to bar owners. And we become relevant in that community community because we're putting something out there that stands out and, whether Jim reads blogs or not, he probably doesn't because he's too busy. He's going to find out about Black Ops because people are going to come into his bar and talk about it. He's going to get on Facebook. And when he does that, our content is going to be there because people will be sharing it. When he goes to Google, we convince Google that our content is and our website is better than the others in the industry. So I think people really fall into a trap of creating content just for a customer as opposed to a community. And I think like there has to be a logic there But it's not the same thing as saying, I'm going to have an avatar and just create content for that avatar. I think you're better off having a logical situation where someone will read the content and either become a customer or become an advocate or share it or help you in some way within that community, but create content for that community. And a lot lot of the people that read our blog are not customers. Like a lot of the people are probably homebrewers. We'll probably never sell anything to them, but um, they're some of our most powerful advocates. And, you know, becoming relevant to homebrewers means that we're going to become relevant to our customers, investors and bloggers and everyone else in the industry.
0: I gotcha. You. Do, you, do you do anything to now you've got the luxury of a, of a you know, built in audience email list. But when you're first starting out, what's your process like to spread the word about this? Like, say you write the world's most epic blog post and you put it out into the world. And like, I think everyone's fear is like now it's cricket's. It's like no no one's ever going to see this. So what do you do to kind of like get that initial ball rolling on it?
1: Yeah, as part of the book, I have a bunch of different frameworks that we use for different things. So people can go up to contentmachine.com forward slash resources and grab all of those. One of them is a promotion template. So what we do is at the end of uh, when a blog post is written, we have a template that the author fills in, whether the author is yourself or it's a guest writer or someone else. And then we have an admin team that executes a whole bunch of stuff for that blog post. And we don't do anything too aggressive, but it's just sort of like mentioning People mentioned in the article and tweeting them, asking them to share it, putting in click-to-tweets into the post, putting in Canva, social media graphics, sharing it on social media, all of that kind of stuff. When I was starting, I I did a couple of things, and I talk about these in the book. One is I posted more on other people's site than I did on my own site, and that's a way you can build your audience because the the, the more you increase the new traffic, like if you go into Google Analytics and see how many people are hitting your site that are new, the higher that number is, the more conversions you're going to get because these are new people to your site and you know they haven't seen your stuff before and they're, they're potentially you can you can build build that audience that way if you're just serving the same audience you might find that you don't have enough new people coming in so you can write on other people's site, and the other thing you can do is I did a lot of like roundup posts and mentioning other people like even if I was doing a podcasting guide I would interview like a bunch of podcasters and get their feedback on it and then reach out to them ask them to share it tweet them mention them in the tweets and sort of leverage their audience that way, and and most people will share something. Podcasters do this all the time. Like, if, if at the end of this podcast you don't email me and tell me about it, and you know, give me a link to share of it, I'll be surprised because that's that's kind of the dumb thing, and yep. that's it's definitely a way to get to a new audience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I like that um, that framework for for getting that. And we'll link that up. Contentmachine.com/resources. We'll link that up in the show notes for uh, for sure
1: the other thing there though is is i think traction is something that you it's hard to force traction on something that's fundamentally like not that good <laughs> like if you're putting content out that's not not differentiated if it's really not that great if it's not solving a problem that someone else hasn't already solved if it's not really needed in your space then i mean you can spend so long pushing pushing it to get traction but it's not really going to get anywhere if you've got content that you know is really needed and people really like it and no one else is doing it then it, it's just going to naturally, you know, get that momentum more so than than the alternative. So I think like you can talk about a boosting traction until you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, good content is going to naturally take off much more than bad content that's not differentiated and not needed. So you're better off focusing on how do I really understand my community? How do I really understand what they want, what they use, how, how I can make them use my stuff more and create you know, differentiated content that they really need, you know, rely on them to share as opposed to like boosting something that people don't really actually like.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really important note to make. Like, hey, create something that's actually good, that's actually worthy of being shared and, and read and you know, watched or tweeted or whatever. I wanted to walk through a couple kind of seven-day startup examples that I've, that I've seen. So WP Curve maybe is the, is the flagship one of these, but I've seen people try to iterate this or try and pivot this to a bunch of different kind of service-based businesses and especially on kind of this kind of low barrier to entry recurring revenue model. Um, One of them that I've used in the past is called Copywriter Today, which is uh, unlimited copywriting services for, I don't know, they have a bunch of different price tiers um, for, you you know, will help you create all this content that you need for your content marketing. Uh, design Pickle it seems to have taken off really well. And then just, um, just recently, Jan Cook has put together uh, an A-B testing service as a monthly subscription called ABCD Impact. Do you see opportunities outside of the internet marketing realm? Or is this just like, this is the world that I'm in, so these are the ones that I see?
1: Yeah this I mean there's heaps of stuff that's happened that, so design pickle I think went from 0 to 30 grand a month in about 6 months wow there's definitely people in my community that have started businesses that are multiple five figures a month there's more than a few of those um there's there's copywriting editing design development port there's there's a whole bunch of different things people have done um there's also also other projects where people have just used the framework to launch something when they've been stuffing around for months or years and not launching. And they've just used it as permission to do that. And they haven't created a business that is is like a WP Curve-like business. They might create something totally different. But yeah, we have got, got a Facebook group and a community of people. There's, a, there's actually a Google Doc that we've got that lists lots and lots of businesses. I think maybe like 40 or 50, but there's definitely hundreds at least, that I know about of, of businesses that have launched. I mean, not all of them work, of course. Right. A, a lot of them don't work. A lot of the businesses I've launched don't work. Um, you, you and me both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of whether it would work outside, I mean, I just honestly just think there's so many opportunities. Like, I just think you could you could apply this way of thinking to just about anything. I think, I think the opportunities outside the online space are probably even bigger. Like, if you can do something in a local... Don't know, like local food delivery, or like something that's more like an in-person type business, but leverage the web for something, or leverage software for something, or work towards building some software for it, or you know leverage social media to market for it. Like I, I think that kind of stuff could be so powerful. Part of the seven-day startup is like looking at the top startups and and that's that sort of funded startup world, and trying to figure out like what us everyday entrepreneurs can use from that world and apply, and th- you know thinking of yourself more as a startup than than just a local business. And so I think any kind of business starts, if you're thinking locally, then that that kind of mindset can benefit you a great deal, even if you don't sort of copy WP curve, if you like. Yeah,
0: no, I've seen some of, the, some of the former or some of the past side hustle show guests have a lot of success with this saying, hey, I'm not going to go after 100 clients at $50 a month, I'm gonna go after 10 clients at $500 a month, or right? I'm going to provide that like this high touch, local, yeah, you know, local marketing service, local SEO service, or something like that, where, you know, it's just kind of getting over that inertia, like you said, to hey, stop, stop hemming and hawing over what the idea is and like, go out and sell it to somebody go out and, and make that first uh, find that first customer.
1: Yeah, that can be useful, especially if you're like, okay, I need to make three grand a month so I can support myself instead of have, having a job. Then it can be useful to say, Okay, I'm gonna break that down by just just getting three one thousand dollar a month clients or six five hundred dollar a month clients. Mm-hmm. And that can be like a really motivating thing. It's like, well, all I need is six customers to to be an entrepreneur. But I'd also warn against that a little bit because I think I think when you go higher price, it's it sort of rules a lot of people out, and and it's, again, it's sort of standard advice that you should put your prices up. But I think if you're going to build something that's that's sort of big and impactful and scalable, I think most of the businesses that I look at like that are generally lower priced, broader services. So I think there's a bit of a compromise there. Like you can charge 10 grand a month, but the client's probably going to want to have just you doing it. And going to be really reliant on you, and you're probably going to it's going to be super high touch, and you know you're not going to be able to just sign up people by putting a blog post on there or a post on social media or an email funnel. So I think you do compromise a little bit the more you put your prices up, but I think there's a balance. I think it'd be cool to do like to start out if you really want to just leave your job and start a business, just have that mindset that okay I want to get to three grand a month, um, and I'm going to do that by doing stuff myself by getting six clients at 500 bucks a month, and then um and then just like kill that deal and then bring in a lower end deal. Where it's a more scalable, it's, it's more profitable, and you can get other people to do the work, and then gradually build that up once you launch.
0: Yeah, definitely. I see people doing doing this. All. Somebody just sent me a, a guest post pitch, and it was like, "Hey, I was just you know spending me and my sister we were just spending you know years you know contemplating these different business ideas. Then one day we got brave and we put an ad on Craigslist for like a house cleaning service. Like, hey, I'm not necessarily passionate about house cleaning. I never, I didn't see myself doing this as a full-time thing, but you know what? I went from idea to customer in about two hours and it was just like, this was the the mindset shift. Like, okay, now I can do it. Somebody's going to pay me money outside of a traditional day job framework. And then I can use that kind of confidence that I build and, you know, translating that into, you know, whatever. And maybe, maybe there's a house cleaning subscription. So well, I'm sure that's like how most maids operate, right?
1: Like- well, I mean, I, I use an example in the book called Tidy.me, which which was um, Stacey Jacobs, who literally started this like house cleaning service in a week by just saying, okay, I'm going to interview a couple of cleaners on gum tree which is like uh, like craig's list over here okay and she just got a couple available and then just went out and dropped flyers in a you know like a, a nice suburb in sydney and said you know it's it's 25 bucks an hour fixed price house cleaning got customers had suppliers on one on one end and literally just started this business and probably four or five months after the she'd raised seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to build her business wow yep yeah, she just she just you know needed cleaners to do it. She didn't do it herself. She found cleaners on on the equivalent of Craigslist and then she just dropped flyers to get the first couple of customers. Just hustle. Just like going out and getting clients, you know, getting people to deliver the service and building that marketplace. That's why I like that example because people sort of assume that a lot of times marketplaces are examples of things where like you can't start them with loads and without loads and loads of money. Um, so to just start that in a week. And, you know, get those first couple of customers and go from being a wantrepreneur to an entrepreneur is is pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I like it. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. ds.com/sidehustle Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor brands. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty, Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining me, everyone. Check out the, uh, the content machine book. We'll link that up in the show notes as well as WPCurve.com. And we'll uh, wrap things up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: The foreword of my book is, so not the foreword, the slogan is you don't learn until you launch. So my tip would have to be that you just have to launch something and, and stop listening to all podcasts except for this one. Stop <laughs> listening to, talking to all your entrepreneurial friends about your amazing ideas. And just get out there and launch something, and, and look at and look at the traction afterwards, rather than making so many assumptions beforehand.
0: So true, so true. Dan, thanks so much. Um, have a great rest of the day. We'll, uh, we'll catch up
1: with you soon. Cool. Thanks for having me.
0: In this edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by Lead Pages. Side so Hustle Nation is about 10 times bigger than it was just last summer when I finally bit the bullet and bought Lead Pages. I know the last thing I wanted was yet another monthly subscription commitment, but the results have committed me from a very hesitant buyer to uh, a year later to be uh, an evangelist. This software just makes uh, my life a whole lot easier and it's helped drive some awesome results that have paid for itself many, many times over. So you're re- when you're ready to make the investment, uh, use my affiliate link at sidehustlenation.com slash leadpages, forward me your receipt and I'll shoot over a copy of the exact step-by-step process I use the software for. Sound good? SideHustleNation.com slash leadpages. One of the uh, examples we used in this episode about uh, their excellent content marketing. Okay, so my top notes from this show. Number one, focus on a unique offering in a big market where people are already paying for solutions number two content marketing can work in just about any industry provided the content is actually good and number three you don't learn until you launch so it's time to launch all the show notes and links are over at sidehustlenation.com slash 132 Uh, a couple itunes shouts before we uh, wrap things up uh these are from the month of july a uh, five star thank you to aaron from skate o'clock thank you aaron uh mark Bologna, balogna <laughs> um jeffrey the bold thank you jeff real high hop And Chris, 162024. Thank you guys so much. Chris says he uh, wants to hear more about affiliate marketing and SEO in 2015. I think that can be arranged. We'll work on that uh, for you. Mark says, I suggest episode, uh, if you're just starting out, I suggest episode uh, 85 with Scott Oldford. Uh, episode 87 with Brian Harris in the public coaching series which you can grab uh, at p c. thank you guys so much for that if you guys have found uh, any value in the 130 something episodes so far we'd love to get a review from you as well at sidehustlenation.com slash iTunes we'll get you there if you are uh, outside the United States uh, send me a note because I only see the uh, US ones unless I'm specifically digging for uh, another country if you're outside the US uh, shoot me a note and um, would love to check uh, those out as well and, and give you a shout out on the air. Now, we've gotten a couple notes uh, from listeners who downloaded the new Jabbercast uh, podcast player app and they're loving it. Head to shs.jabbercast.com to check it out. Uh, SHS for Side Hustle Show. You'll, uh, you'll find a enhanced content for the Side Hustle Show and many of your other favorites there. Um, for some reason, my iPhone like my Apple podcast player app keeps crashing my phone and so I'm very happy to have this Jabbercast um, app as a replacement and I think the interface is better too. So thank you so much for listening this week. Until next time, let's go out there, make something happen and I'll see you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com